the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and early 1990s. Kyle Leone here, your host for another week, and what a week it is. If you haven't filed your taxes yet, get on that, because we're already two days into April, and May's just around the corner. Can't stop that month! If this is your first time listening, let me explain the format here on The Gory Days. Each week, my guest is an up-and-comer in the industry. No other industry calls it the industry. It feels kind of pompous, like when you go into uh, sales, no one's like, oh, sales industry or lumber industry. There's no other industry that just calls it the biz or the industry. I think I like that. It's an up-and-comer in the industry. We talk about their path, what they've done, what they're doing to give them a little signal boost, and then we dive headfirst into our horror movie of the week and just rip it to shreds. And oh my god, this week is no exception. Obviously, you've seen the title of this week's episode. The movie is Climax from 2018. It came out five weeks ago as of the uh, release of this episode, so don't worry if you haven't had a chance to see it. That said, major spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen the movie, we're going to be tearing it apart and looking into everything inside and out. So go watch it, pause the podcast, and come back when you have, because it is a movie that you don't want to miss. But before we get into that, My guest today is an Australian screenwriter, director, and producer based in Los Angeles. She's also a playwright and writer, having been published in, among others, Thought Catalog, Vibewire, and Vertigo Magazine. And this is her first time on this particular podcast. We'll find out if she's done any others. Her short film, Fitzgerald's Cult Following, which she wrote, directed, and produced, is currently making the film festival circuit. Please welcome to the show, Felicity Pickering. Hi! Hi, how are you doing? Hello! <laughs> good, good, good. It's nice to have you here, from all the way from Australia. Yes, so, I just flew in. <laughs> you t- <laughs> and boy, your arm's tired. <laughs> yeah, they uh, sure are. <laughs> uh, so, um, this is your first time on the podcast, but we've met before. We met at the uh, Mentorship uh, Mixer in... Um, Le, on at Candela La Brea. That was fun. Yeah, it was I an really, amazing event. Yeah, I really appreciate it because um, I remember I was not having a good time. I had a really bad week and day and I was just not, I didn't want to be there and I remember hemming and hawing about whether I wanted to go but I finally did, and you were the first person to walk up to me and engage me, and you were like, are you waiting for your mentor, too? <laughs> what was going through your head? Like, you just got there. Yeah, no, uh, I actually found out earlier that my mentor couldn't make it, and I was, like, already in my car, like, oh. waiting to go in, and I was like, oh, okay, like, do I do this? Do I go home? Yeah, like, what do you, What else do you do? Yeah, it was kind of like a, you know, you're meant to, it was the event was just to, like, kind of meet your mentor, and then I was like, oh, my mentor's not even going to be here, but it, it worked out, like, really well. Like, I met... Um, um, I think it's uh, Stephen Tolkien, whose parents did uh, Lord of the Rings. And, was he like, there? He was there. He was just I like walking that. around, and I was like, hey. "Was he a mentor?" He was a mentor, and his uh, his mentor hadn't uh, his mentee hadn't showed up. So, oh wow, <laughs> yeah. wow! How can you not show up to meet your mentor when he's a Tolkien? I know that's nuts. That's like if it's he was like, an R.R. R. Martin or something. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, like yeah. So it worked out really well. It's like one of those things where. 
you know, it's like hard coming to Hollywood, but you got to kind of like, hey, you know, come out there and project confidence and positivity. And... Well, sure. I feel like you kind of have a different perspective. You say coming to Hollywood, but yeah. you're not from here originally. You're not no. even from America. Uh, yeah. Where's home for you? Um, Sydney, Australia is my home. Very cool. Um, I've been out here for about a year and a half. Uh, but I did actually live in Pittsburgh as a child for a little while, which was really random. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I've got like no family connection to America. We just ended up coming here. Okay. Um, and yeah, no, so yeah, I moved over here from Sydney with my uh, now fiancé, Josh Zamet. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And <laughs> there congratulations it is. to you as <laughs> oh, well. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, listen to the gory days. I don't know if they know, but I'm engaged too. Ah. So congratulations to the two of us. Yeah. Um, and uh, But yes, so I moved out here and... Um, been trying to like figure out the scene and navigate right. it and... but you haven't been figuring it out in just that year's time you've been working in australia too you're a published playwright yeah yes i am um yeah i, I kind of like started being a playwright um, how did that start like are you, <laughs> did you do high school drama or or oh yeah tell me about yeah. it yeah uh, well it was really interesting like you know yeah doing high school drama like drama was my big thing what plays were you in uh, I was in Oliver. Oh, I was in who are you? Greece. Who are you in Oliver? I think I was just like a pauper boy. Oh, like, okay. I'm okay. like not a very good ensemble singer. stuff. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, and then also I was in this. Uh, my I feel like my most like memorable performance uh, was in like this. Uh, it was a play called Hating Alice and Ashley. I've never heard of it. And I was like the wacky art teacher and i was like very young to be in like senior production and they were okay. like you can be like this complete stoner like <laughs> art teacher and i like really found myself in that role that's crazy <laughs> i like loved it and so did you always have an affinity for comedy then or were yeah 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 you think like as well it was like it it was great going to you know going to my high school as well i went to like an all-girls school cool that's like a bit weirder over here i think Whereas in Australia, it's quite common that you're like all girls school. Well, the way I, like when, when you said that, I immediately thought, oh, like a Catholic school or something, but yeah. there's no religious hierarchy oh, attached to it or is there? Yeah. My particular school was, a, I was, it was a Presbyterian school, Okay, but it was kind of like really good in terms of, uh, I got to be like, play a lot of men and like do girls or men yeah. and like, so then you kind of like, you get a lot of comedic roles and stuff like that. You can kind of pick and choose. But I kind of realized when I was like in high school um, that what I really liked is was directing and writing because okay. I would so often like go into group projects and then it would be like, I, I always really loved the creepy stuff and I really loved like making really dark like performance piece type things and yeah. that kind of like made me go like hey maybe i want to be a director maybe i want to be a writer because um, it's a little nicer than getting blood poured on you yeah. when you're on the other side of the camera <laughs> yeah. Yeah. exactly like or having freaking... to run around in your underwear and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and just having knives thrown at yeah. you and stuff like that oh yeah. god some of the stuff these people put up with in these movies like this one in particular oh it's my insane. god yeah. i mean put up with it's it's a chance of a lifetime to be in a internationally released film but, totally but still it's like what it takes to be an actor uh, for oh, some God. of the, especially like student films. I, I, I'm sure you have a better perspective than I do of some of the things that, you know, get passed off as art in some of these circles <laughs> and stuff. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's crazy what, you know, you've got to find people to, if you have like a vision, you're going to be like, okay, well, this is what I want. But then, you know, you know, think about the individual, what they actually have to go through to get that performance yeah so what was the point for you when you were uh writing when you decided i don't want to be an actor or singer anymore i want to be on the other side writing and directing uh what was the point where you decided like 
oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to nurture this and I'm going to submit things. I'm going to call myself a writer. Like when did that happen for you? Yeah, um, well, I've like, I've got a lot to like, you know, a little shout out to uh, Australian Theatre for Young People. Um, it's like a little kind of, uh, it's like meant to be for under 30 year olds in Sydney. And it's like um, just underneath the Sydney Theatre Company. And it's a little uh, theatre company that did so much for my career and does so much for so many Australians um, in their theatre career. Um, and so like what they do is they had like a writers, they have all these different writers programs. So I ended up doing a mentorship with them, which was like a year long mentorship where I developed a play um, and uh, and like actually two plays. And then also they did this thing where it was like, uh they did a residency where all these different it was almost like it felt a bit like a reality tv show where a group of young writers all get flown across australia all get flown to one little place in regional new south wales and you all have to write a monologue and at the end of that week you present your monologue and then a certain number of them get chosen to be on this stage performance and then the stage performance is like published and like people all around australia then buy it for like their uh, you know, final, uh, you know, like your high school drama thing. I guess yeah. like your SAT drama. I don't know what you would call it. Uh, yeah. Your final project, I guess. It, it's yeah. called HSE in Australia. But like, <laughs> cool. So all these people do like these monologues and like they sell them all around where it's like, oh, it's, you know, monologues written for young people by yeah. young people. I'm like, I'm familiar with the versions that I've seen where, yeah, it's just a big tome of monologues that you can choose from, from all kinds of writers, both like David Mamet to student writers and things. Yeah. And so is the monologue that you're leading up to Fakin? It is. Fantastic. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but before I move there, is that something that you had to audition into somehow or submit some things or did they reach out to you? How did you be, how did you start in that program? Yeah, I, um, I like submitted some writing um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I got into it and they're like, we're going to pay for you to come out and you know spend a week with writers it's amazing and I felt like yeah that to me completely I, could, I think you actually asked me like because I was like oh I'm a writer and you're like what you know it's it's so good that to be just like I'm a writer and just like have that <laughs> to be able sense. to say that yeah and just to be like hey you know what that's what I am I'm not like an aspiring writer or like you know I think as well I used to use emerging writer but um yeah, and so that through that pro program, like an up and coming writer, an up and coming yeah. writer, yeah, I got paid like uh, like a thousand dollars, and as soon as I like had been paid, mm -hmm. I was like, I'm a writer. That's now. it. That's right. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a bartender. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm a writer now. Yeah. Like that's uh, that's how I thought about it. And I think that's very impressive. I don't know yeah. what yeah what you think of yourself, but I'm very impressed with what you've uh, created in the time that you've been here. And how long has it been again? A year? A year and a half. Now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um. And so Fakin though was written while you were in Australia um, uh, if you don't mind me asking like what well, how old were you when you were submitting this and this was all happening like you got submitted you stayed there for a week you wrote this yeah I think I, I probably you don't have to say if you don't want to I <laughs> no, realize no, no, how no. inappropriate the question I just oh, asked oh, is. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like I'm just like trying to figure out what I was I was probably like 23 24 okay when that was all happening and then it got made into a film probably when I was like yeah, I think it got made into a film when I was 24. Okay. So, yeah, yeah let's get into it. So, the short, uh, the original monologue is Fakin' that you wrote for this. And uh, as a monologue, if for whatever reason people don't know, yeah. very different from what the short became. It's yeah. one person speaking uh, to, uh, well, it could be in any number of people. So, uh, I want to know who approached who to make the short film. You obviously had the very successful monologue. Mm -hmm. uh, I, someone came out of the woodwork and said, hey, I 
want to turn this into a short film? How'd it go? Yeah, it's like so funny because some people warn me against doing this, but um, you know, it's good. Uh, someone just had like a call out in my university Facebook page being like, hey, I want a script. Like, do you wow. have, does anyone have any writing? And then I messaged him and was like, hey, I've got like, you know, I've got some writing. I like chucked him a couple of scripts. And then he was like, what about this monologue that like you've got all this press on? And I was like, oh, okay. Like I never thought of it as a film. And uh, so it was a really good process in terms of like, I honestly thought it was going to be too high budget to make because it's like got a lot of meat in it. And like the way I envisioned it, it was like very expensive and very like surreal and a few locations yeah and quite a few locations um but anyway we like i through the process i learned a lot about adapting as well which was kind of an experience that i hope i think i hope will continue on in my life that must have been the great the greatest opportunity to uh adapt your own writing into a different medium yeah Yeah. like to see not only how to improve on your initial product, but like uh, where to fill in new information and where to expand the narrative. Um, yeah, that must have been uh, a great opportunity. And I assume you uh, kept in contact with these people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what it's all about is finding collaborators and things. Like totally. the people in that house, do you still keep in contact? Uh, is that like a going uh, cabal? I can't cabal? think of a better word. <laughs> the house in Fagan? Yeah, yeah. That's my house. Oh, oh, I meant the house I meant the house that you writers were uh, in in New South oh, Wales. But okay, um, gotcha. Because yeah, I was like, that's I, a definitely, beautiful house. <laughs> I definitely go back there a lot. Um, You're talking about the house where the family has all the meat and stuff? That's yeah, your house? That's my house. Oh, that's a gorgeous house. Sydney. Okay. Yeah, it was like pretty funny. Um, uh, are, are a lot of the actors like friends you know too or did you like formally yeah. cast it? Yeah, you know what? Um, uh, the lead, Jane Watt, she was she's actually, great. She, yeah, she was amazing and she's like killing it in australia right now okay good um she i met her through like atyp i actually like went to one of their performances um i can't remember the name of it now but i like approached her afterwards and was like hey would you be interested in like auditioning for a short film wow um so yeah it was like i think that you know again not to shout out atyp like too much now (laughs) but like uh it was such an amazing community and even in la um they you know i've met so many people over here who are like oh you know like we, you know, I came up through ATYP and like, it's just kind of this really nice network that is now international. Um, that, and I'm so like, I'm such a fan of like championing young writers and like public funding for like young people to get involved in the arts. And it also seems like a, like a fraternity sorority element where once you mention that and someone else knows what it is, then you have this, uh, shared experience. Totally. Yeah. I feel like it's so much like that in Australia. And I mean, well, sorry, in LA, like in terms of like talking to other Australians, it's like so nice when someone like you see recognition yeah. when you're like, Oh, I did this thing. And then they're like, Oh, I I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. Like there's like this huge TV show called home and away. Um, and neighbors, have you ever heard of it? Neighbors, I have. What's yeah. Home and Away, though? Home and Away is essentially, like, uh, is exactly very similar to Home Like, they're very similar things. Okay. But they're, like, big TV shows in Australia. And Comedies like, and that one, like... Uh, they're kind of, like, they're soaps. They're, like, teen oh, soaps. Oh, okay. But if you're, like, an actor who has been in either one of those, then, like, it's, like, for an Australian, it's, like, oh, you're famous. Oh, <laughs> But if you come over here and you're, like, I'm, I was in Home and Away, it's, like... No one knows. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was that? So, um, um, yeah. you were involved in the theater scene in Australia. Mm-hmm. Do you still have a, 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 a toe in the uh, film scene in Australia? 
Um, you know, uh, I'd like to think I do. When you go back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just say yes. Because, I mean, you worked in Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. That that carries clout all over the world. Well, I certainly hope so. No, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you're a paid writer. You have a short going around the festival circuit that we're going to get to in a second. Yeah. It's very impressive. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm, def- I'm going to actually go to back in a couple of weeks to visit. And so it's, it's Your really family's good. still back there, right? Yeah. Do yeah. they support and understand? what you're doing because it can be a risky life to to jump into but yeah. you've you've probably demonstrated that you're good at this at this point oh well that's nice. um <laughs> uh so many compliments in this podcast I'm just like, oh my god i'm like my head will explode <laughs> um no uh no they're very supportive like uh they're they're very excited about stuff and i think that early on like my uh parents like sir i was very much drawn to that kind of uh, the you know the performing arts kind of side of things and we're kind of like hey if that's you know what you want to do I was very lucky in terms of you know some people when you come out of high school and you say hey I want to do a creative writing degree it's like, like yeah yeah I mean everyone <laughs> wants to again. keep you safe you know they want they want <laughs> yeah. you to do the thing that that worked for them but the totally. world isn't the same anymore so yeah you know it comes from a nice place but um but no, yeah, it was. I was uh, very lucky in terms of them being yeah. like, okay, you're going to do creative writing and stuff like. I think that uh, my mom, uh, growing up, my mom took me to a lot of theater. and oh, okay. like, Loved writers and like she still loves going to writers festivals. Does she write? She she does not write, but she's like such an avid. Like she consumes so much more, so many more books than I do. Oh, okay. And like is very learned lady. Um, an avid and, reader an avid such an avid reader um, and like a, a big fan of just constantly learning and I think that like writing has a big aspect of that where it's like you're just you know when you're writing a script you get to like really deep dive and like do a lot of research in a topic mm-hmm. that yeah it kind of it works with those kind of personalities yeah yeah very cool um so the short that's currently making the festival circuit uh yeah. i wanted to ask how much can we talk about this because i know that it's... It. okay oh, all yeah. right. i'm like I don't, I don't mind well we already mentioned the title it is fitzgerald's cult following mm. and i'm oh it's uh, tony fitzgerald oh it's tony cult. fitzgerald oh i'm <laughs> yes. so sorry no sometimes the writing is like you know you can't read it so well i it. will get that clean this time Fitz, oops. <laughs> okay. The short is called. Oh, forget it. Tony Fitzgerald's cult following. It is. It is really funny. I gotta say. Yay. Um, like right off the bat, number one, the uh actress that you got to play Tony and the actress that you got to play Tony's mom are particularly fantastic. The the um older woman who plays her mom is so great, and I forgot. Uh, I forgot Marie to, McKillen. Marie McKillen. Okay. Yeah, I hope. I'm sorry, Marie, if I just got that wrong. <laughs> Um, but no, Marie is like so amazing. Um, she was a, such a, like a, such a good sport about like being in my short film cause I was trying to cast it. And then she's actually uh, a slam poet. She's like, really, she's not an actor by kind of like trade. Um, she's got that energy. I could see it. I know. And I like, I'd seen her in a couple of performances and I'd always thought like she was just amazing. And then I actually, weirdly enough, like coming up to the script, um, coming up to the film, I saw her at a bus stop, like in central Sydney. And I was like, Hi, uh, like so nice to yeah, see you. Yeah, you recognized her. Yeah, and I was just like, this is so random. But would you ever be in like my short film? And like, it all came from there. She was amazing. Felicity, where does this bravery come from? <laughs> like, like two or three times now, you've yeah. mentioned situations where you saw someone that you knew is high status and just walked up to them and said, hey, I love what you do. Would you be interested in being in my thing? How do you do that? I think it's just, you know, 
Pure recklessness. Like, are you nervous? Are you thinking, oh no, and and pushing past that, or are you just you're not even thinking about it? You don't even think about it. I, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like you know, it's. I think everyone's fl- like I think as well as art. Like artists are always flattered, no matter what. Like, okay. You know, I think that as well. It's like the same. You know, if anyone if anyone came up to me and said, hey, I like your work, I'm like. How could I'm, you ever I'm get down. mad? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to be like, hey, you know what? Fuck you. you know? Yeah, there's no like Am Eddie Murphy. Yeah, of course you can fucking swear. No worries. <laughs> I was just like, wait a second. Am I just like, PG? That was really cool, though, how you made that like audible. I could see the gears going like, oh, here it comes. I'm Uh-oh. getting to the swear word. Yes, what am I going to do? Like, and then you just went for it. And then you just like, it just like cuts to like, me. I'm sorry. We had to excuse Felicity and her foul mouth out of here. Like, We've had oh, to end shit. our episode a little early. Yeah. Um, so, so tell us about like the uh, impetus for for this it's a stand-up uh like are is that your world are you familiar with have you done stand-up before um no okay yeah and a lot of, it a seems lot of people really hard. yeah a lot of people are like is this about you and i'm like in some ways but like well not. write what you know but yeah, yeah write what you know um it's actually really funny because uh the entire thing um uh was kind of inspired by i like i was like a huge friends fan when i was a teenager oh okay and i used to pass off the friends jokes as my original <laughs> joke <laughs> And then I like made friends with this other person and they were like, they knew friends back to front. Oh, no. And I was like, oh shit. Like, and then I kind of like, you know, I would watch friends and I like people would just thought I, in high school, I, they, they thought I was like funny because I would say all these like Chandler lines. <laughs> and then like this other person was just like, oh, isn't that from friends? Yeah. And I was just like, holy fuck. Oh my God, that's your worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I've totally yeah. been in that situation. I, you know, I was like, you know, 14 kind of or something like that. And I was just like, you know, trying I'm to the be funny cool. one. Yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to be really cool and funny all the time and then I was just like oh my god I can't be around people who know like where I'm ripping my jokes from and so essentially that's kind of like the impetus of like where this whole script came from is like what if uh, I were to steal jokes in an environment where absolutely no one could tell and how far I could get with that yeah it's awesome yeah and just yeah that kind of thing where you know you the the joy that you get from being like really funny and then like being scared that you're like not that like I, I still steal jokes like obviously as I got I feel like it's hard it's it's impossible not to everything is built on everything at this point and like you can reference or homage something without even knowing it yeah yeah or just like when you say something that's obviously like to you it's obviously a quote from a movie and then they laugh like a little too hard yeah it's almost like the ethical thing of being like should I tell them that that actually that was from the I have to admit that was was like yeah can I just stop you there in your mid-laugh? Um, actually, I've got an admission. You know. I have to cite my sources here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. But, you know, this is the kind of stuff that comes up all the time and this, you know, global, I don't know, information No, especially world. during, like, a developmental time of your life. Like, when I was 12 to 14, I was absorbing a lot of HomestarRunner.com things, this yeah. uh, Flash animated show on the internet, and... It was so small and niche, I knew no one was watching it. So I would steal constantly from it, <laughs> knowing that no one would ever catch me about it. But I still would feel that in the background, like, you're, what are you doing? You're lying. Yeah. You're a fraud. You're a fraud. <laughs> I maybe, like, shouldn't have chosen Friends to steal. Like, why? Like, the most typical, most... Most popular most show. popular possible show I could have, like, tried to... Uh be so where does the cult uh come in though where did you get the idea to throw in this like really unique there's a lot of like uh marketing it looks like the cult has a life of its own there's there's a thing that uh 
a compliment, another compliment that I want to give is that um, this short has a world building that makes it feel like there's a world beyond the characters that are happening in the short. And it's only because of the commercial for the cult and the cult's presence and some of the establishing shots, like whether or not that was intentional, it really does make the world feel larger than the short and it makes the short feel that much more important. Oh, so so how did that happen? Yeah. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, the I was kind of like planning to make it for like two years um, and I was always like oh I'm gonna do this and then I was like I don't have enough money and I'm like oh I'm gonna do this um, and so I had like a lot of time to think about it but I think like you know I've got to say you know uh, props to John Scarpius who was a production designer and also oh, okay. the costume designer because um, oh. he brought like so much visual style to it in terms of like we went to like this uh, shop called Reverse Garbage in Sydney which is just like where everyone's like crap like you'll find i found a giant ear there once okay like, like a the, secondhand prop store it's it's almost like you know like refuse material okay. gets dumped there and fabric and like oh, if you want to find something weird in sydney like you go to like yeah i think yeah you got to go there um if you ever go to sydney <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to frankly it's your first stop i've been wanting to go i want to go before the great barrier reef goes away oh yeah yeah and it's I like would jump on that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, no, so we like kind of like went to, uh, we went there and we like just found, okay, we were like looking through all this kind of, uh, refuse material and being like, okay, the cult should be yellow. And like, then we like yeah. found some shower caps that were yellow. We're like, perfect. That's this. And then we like found these little metal things and like, okay, this is the cults. This is the cult's sign now. And so it was really amazing in terms of like, uh, building the world and getting that kind of thing, because uh, obviously, you know, there are, there are lots of different types of cults. Yes. Um, but and the we really yellow. Yellow and white is so effective and so consistent through all of the different levels of it. Um, uh, where was it filmed, by the way? Yeah, it was filmed in uh, filmed in Annandale in Sydney okay. for the most part. It was actually in a, um, I think it was like Studio 401. Oh, you were on studio. Yeah, actually, I like I splurged on like getting a photography studio uh, just to get those like crisp cult whites. Oh, that so that's what that was. Okay. Yeah, I was actually like looking, I was like Very looking effective. for all these churches and I was like asking all these cr- churches if I could film at their church and they are just like so like what's the thing about yeah. and I was like is it gonna make us look it's bad about a cult and then it was like <laughs> okay this conversation has been shut down <laughs> so like it was like really hard location scouting yeah to be like hey like you know like give us a really you know student rates all are and then it was like oh so um, yeah, it was really great to have that photography studio. But you had experienced location scouting and everything at this point, because this isn't your first rodeo, obviously, yeah. but this is probably the, the, the one that's going to get the most eyes on it. Yeah, like I think with um, Fakin, definitely, I did a lot of location scouting just in terms of like, you know, it was in my house and then it was kind of filmed around the area that I lived in near my parents' house, Cold Hundreds Hill. And so okay. like, I kind of picked out certain places. I didn't do all the location scouting at Fakin, but I did get quite a little experience of that. Okay. So then how did you get so funny? Did you do improv? <laughs> I mean, like your your script, lit, like as, as somebody who has uh, also written like dumb little skits, you know, for YouTube and my friends back in high school and stuff, you like, I, I tried to look back. It's like, oh, obviously she has an improv past or obviously she's done sketch comedy. Not uh, nothing that I could find on your website. So where does this come from? Where does it come from? <laughs> no, um, yeah, I don't. I have never uh, really done improv except for like in high school kind of thing. Um, but I think as well, it's just like having really funny friends. Like okay. I, I've always had like hilarious, over the top kind of 
theatrical dramatic friends and i think just like riffing with them yeah like really absurd people you know i've like shout out to uh maddie stewart and olivia mayberry uh who were and also uh alicia leach amos okay um and they're just like such funny wacky people and like that's just kind of like what what i write is often yeah from real life and like funny scenarios and that kind of like the i feel like the voice that I'm like trying to captivate is so much bounced off these like very funny women and like, and funny men as well. But yeah. So funny enough that you can bounce ideas off them, but not so funny that you'd give them co-writing credits. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> shout outs, but <laughs> shout out. special but thanks. That's all you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, it, was this the first thing, first film you directed or had you done any? Okay. So yeah. what did you learn from that experience? Cause oh like, my God, so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like what's some of the biggest things that, that you were not expecting or prepared for, but you, you learned a lot from it. Yeah. Um, no, it was like, I'd always like wanted to direct. And then I think I'm like a bit of like a security pants in that sense where I'm just like, Oh my God, it's too many people. I don't know. A lot of people. And like, you know, just being a bit like, Oh, I don't want to like yell at everyone. Um, so you have a good first AD for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that it was such an amazing experience and like, it was something I wanted to do early in my career. Cause I didn't want to like get to the end of my career and suddenly be like, Hey, I want to direct and be like, Oh, well, you got no background on that. Like, so that's was- a theme that I've seen with a lot of my other guests is that you don't wait yeah. You don't wait until someone else comes to you with an opportunity. Totally. You, you, you do it. If you want to be a director, don't wait nurturing all the other things that you already do. Yeah. Just go do it. Yeah, because you'll wait your entire life. And you'll learn more than you ever will from reading books about it. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, there's um, definitely like uh, there's such a thing. Like in a, I think in Australia, you're really like uh, because there's the funding is so hard to get. And like, you know, um, it's so important that you just like do it. Like, you don't, like, kind of wait around. Like, so much is, like, you know, I know so many people who um, put, you know, so much of their own money into making their career happen. And it's, like, so, so much props to them because they come, you know, they get so much out of it. But it's, like, they really put so much of their life and finances on the line to make their dreams happen. And I think that that's a really good way to do it, even though it can get you in a lot of debt. But so what's your dream? It seems like you hit them all. (laughs) No, but like wave a magic wand. Where, where are you going? Um, you know what? I would love, I would love to be a showrunner. Okay. That would be, I, that would be amazing. For a drama or a comedy or anything they'll give you. you Yeah. Anything they'll give me, honestly, I would love to be a showrunner and I would also love to be like an indie filmmaker Mm. kind of like making stuff on the more art house. I've got a bit of like a, a thing where when I started out, I um I used to do like my short films were for comedy. Like I was like, okay, film, I'm all about comedy and theater. I'm into like the darkest possible stuff I can explore. Okay. Um. So I had like, yeah, very like dark, like fucked up plays. And then, but like to keep the branding kind of consistent, I was like, okay, but just funny comedy things. Yeah. But they're starting to like bleed a bit more into each other now, like because I feel like I'm getting older and I'm like, you know what? These like plays that I've written, you know, they should be maybe features. And also I I feel like just the world is kind of adapting to a, uh, like more amalgamated uh, form of comedy drama shows like Bojack Horseman or um, Shameless. These shows that bridge the gap between literally like crying laughter to next beat, really hard hitting grounded drama. So yeah, yeah, I feel like the time is now for, for something like what you're bringing to the table. That's really exciting. Yeah. I think, yeah, Jordan Peele, like I got a lot from his kind of, his career is amazing in terms of his like, 
you know, I'm funny dude. And then suddenly it's like, no, I do horror. And, and like, there was no like real transition moment for him. It was just, here I am now. Jordan Peele, the comedy guy, here I am. Yeah. And that's risky, but it worked. Yeah. And I feel like it's because it, it, it all had to do with the movie. If the yeah. movie wasn't good, then, then no one would have yeah, cared. Yeah, everyone would just be like, why did he do that? Now <laughs> he's king of the world. Yeah. yeah. Except I guess Dwayne Johnson's making more money, but. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, is it about money? Exactly, yeah. It's about the art. Yeah, yeah. And if <laughs> yeah. he's happy, then I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great to hear. It's yeah. awesome to have you here. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the movie today, Climax from 2018. When we come back. The Glory Days. Welcome back to the Gory Days. Kyle Leone here, your host for another week. My guest today is Felicity Pickering. Her short film, Tony Fitzgerald's Cult Following, I got it, yeah! <laughs> is currently making the film festival circuit. And our movie today is Climax from 2018. Gas, uh, 2019, I guess, technically. I mean, all of the websites say that 2018 because it technically came out in Cannes in 2018. That was its first official premiere. But its first premiere in the United States was March 1st, 2019. And if you're listening to it now, that was five weeks ago. So it's okay if you haven't seen it yet. But if you have any intention of doing so, this is the last warning I'm going to give major spoilers ahead. So if you were here to just listen to Felicity's uh, first half, then by all means, don't listen anymore, and I won't take it personally. But if you're here for Climax, here we go. How do you pronounce his name? Gaspar. You know what? I, I was like so nervous <laughs> about that figure. coming in. Let's just like, you know, have a like Gaspar no? No? I feel Let's like say no. we, we aren't like nuanced enough in French. Do you speak no. French? No, I don't. Okay, but yeah, yeah. like, I feel like. I was like, thank God. Because <laughs> I, I don't, but I made sure to um, like uh, phonetic the awards that he won at some of these other festivals. And I realized I missed his. So, yeah. so the film is Climax. It's directed, written, and produced and co Co-edited by the director, writer, you know, Gaspar Noah, who has done uh, Enter the Void, was the last movie that I saw. I, I haven't seen anything else by him. Have you seen anything else? Um, yeah, I just saw, oh my god, Irreversible. Oh, did he do that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, actually, in preparation for this, okay. I went and saw um, Irreversible, and I can tell you it's amazing as well. So, when did that come out? Um, I think it was quite a while ago. Was it the last one before this? Ago. Yeah. Okay. But it's, um, it's you know, heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll... I'd heard a lot about it, and then I finally got around to watching it, and I was like, whoa. If it's anything like this or Enter the Void, like he, there's, there's some common themes in his brand, but... Mm. Um, before that, I want to ask, so you brought this movie to uh, the gory days, and I wanted to ask, what's your relationship with it, and why this movie, and why this director? Yeah, um, I, you know, I saw it a couple of weeks ago, and I could not shut up about it. Like, I feel like at my workplace, they're just like, stop with this climax film. But um, it was, it's just amazing. Like, How did I, you hear about it? I haven't seen any posters or uh, trailers or anything. Yeah, you know what? It's Funnily enough, it like was on my Instagram feed. Oh, okay. And I was like, you know, I sent it to my fiance and was like, hey, we gotta like go see this. And he was like, you know the director? Like, rah, rah, rah. And I was like, no. I'm like, I'm in. Let's go see it. Um, and I'm so happy I did because um, you know, it's, it's suddenly become like a huge inspiration to me and really amazing. I'm really happy you brought it to me too, because this is a movie that I will be completely honest, I would never have gone to see in theaters. I never would have seeked it out. The showtimes were extremely difficult to make. <laughs> I had to skip work. I had to skip work. I had oh to ask God. work. I, Such and I, commitment. To and I was scene. honest. And if she's listening right now, my supervisor gave me like, yeah, no, absolutely. Go for it. I said, hey, I have this opportunity to see a, a, a movie for my podcast that's in theaters, unfortunately, right now. And so I need to go. It was 
showing at five o'clock in Culver City. And so I drove down there and I saw it. Yeah. And um, the theater was virtually empty. Because uh. Uh, I, I made sure to go on just like media blackout. After you said the title of the film, I looked up showtimes and nothing else. I didn't want to read uh, synopsis. I didn't even want to look at a poster, like nothing. Everything's a spoiler. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I did because it made the viewing so much so much better. Um, and uh, so, so number one, I'm glad that you brought it. Number two, this is probably the most difficult movie I'm going to cover on this <laughs> podcast. Like thematically, just like structurally, uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's a very difficult in every sense of the word film. Um, and we'll explain all of that. And then, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, when I got there, the theater was virtually empty because it's an art house film, and so I didn't realize that either. Um, I just, I just thought. Uh, Oh, it must be just leaving theaters because there's only one showtime per day. Um, so the movie Climax uh, by Gaspar Noah is unique. It takes place during winter 1996 within one location, which is awesome. Uh, a single building and features a large ensemble cast, bogglingly large, 24, portraying a French dance troupe, 24 dancers throwing an after party after a rehearsal. But the celebrations take a dark turn when everyone becomes increasingly agitated and confused, and the group begins to suspect that their sangria has been laced with LSD. So I'm really glad I didn't read that, because that would have colored <laughs> everything. I would have been looking for stuff. Like, there's there's that opening bit where there were... Uh, um, man, oh, <laughs> there's a lot of characters here. Yeah. The, um, the like, Slavic guy with the uh, tracksuit. Um, oh, yeah. Um, who's, uh, like, the total womanizer and keeps bragging about how he slept with everyone is there. Is it David? Is it know. David? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it's David. Yeah, David's going around and offering people drinks and various people are saying no. And it's like, if I had known that, oh, it's about LSD, I'd be looking for that the whole time. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know anything at all. So, like... um. I try to keep an open mind with movies like this because I never know what's going to happen and I'm at the mercy of whatever hap- what the director wants. Yeah. And so uh, I feel like I have to do, th- like I said, this is difficult because I have to do this in two steps. I have to talk about it remembering nothing of like like remembering that I didn't look anything up and how I experienced it and then I need to go back and examine like, oh, this is actually how the film was structured. So like when it's an opening shot of pure white and a woman comes from the top of the screen, and it takes your mind a second to realize I am pointing down, and this woman is walking forward. It's it it it, it starts right from the very beginning of a point of like I I don't know who this person is. I don't know what I'm looking at. Like the mind demands something to grab onto as an audience, and he just refuses to give it to you. And then when you think he's finally going to, it's this like terrifying cut of the there's a couple of them of the vhs like like digital tear things and these quotes that he puts up in french um uh man they're all over my notes but um yeah he has these quotes that cut straight to the shot of the tv and all of the interviews and that's where we meet all 24 of the people um and those interviews are so great yeah Um, so amazing it's so like when you like when you signed up for this film did you look up any of that did you know any of the synopsis and stuff i think i'd like all i'd seen was maybe like the opening dance number and so and it's it was it was kind of it's an amazing film in terms of like the marketing of it like you could be like oh this is gonna be like a fantastical kind of dance oh really oh and um and it's so amazing where it goes like i yeah i 
I obviously yeah. love it. So yeah. if anything, uh, I guess it won't be difficult structurally because the movie kind of, uh, I, I thought about that while I was watching that. And I was like, oh, this will be easy because it's just boop, <laughs> boop, boop. Yeah. So the first, it's, it's typical three-act structure. You have uh, opening stuff. You have some kind of uh, climax that leads to uh, all is lost and then falling action. Um, climax. Uh, so the first half of the movie is, or the first third of the movie is them doing this amazing dance routine that is one, like, 12 minute or more cut where they do the fully choreographed dance and then still without cutting go to the after party and swinging around to these incredibly difficult I have to imagine an incredibly difficult like choreography not just dancing but like stage blocking and making sure they're not bumping into the cameraman or stepping on each other's lines because this movie is freaking improvised there was a five page script that detailed some of the big beats but they didn't even know how it was going to end in that initial script, Selva was supposed to end up with a guy, and it was just them talking throughout the production, like taking moments and going, hey, what do you want to do? Do, do? How do you want to go crazy? And they go, oh, I want to do this with that person. And then they'd go over and ask that person, they want to do this to you. Is that okay? Do you have any ideas? And it's like this collaborative environment that sounds like a, a dream come true. This movie was made so quickly, four months. He has the idea in December, uh, November of 2017, and it's filmed, and it's cast in January, filmed in February, and it's out at Cannes in March. It's crazy. Could you, so well, crazy. How long did it take uh, Tony's uh, Tony Fitzgerald Tony Fitzgerald pull following? How, did, how long, long did that take? Because um, that's like, a 12 minute short, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is like an hour. And a yeah, half. I know. It's so much longer than this like masterpiece here. Um, like, uh, yeah, no, it took uh, took maybe like two years of like finding people and like coming up with the idea and like making the money. So yeah, yeah it's, um, it's like, funny. I don't know what, like w- w- what kind of drugs you have to be on to, to, oh. to like any, I heard that. Yeah. Um, motivate uh, yourself. Gaspar and- also like let uh, Sophia Butella um, name herself as Selva. Like it was, her, I did not know that it was her grandmother's name. And oh. she was like, yeah, you really, and you know, it was a like, very collaborative environment where, he actually like went out and found the best dancers in France and um, and also like out of France, and uh, he then like kind of like rewrote the script, okay. you, know, you know, with the people that they'd cast. Which right, was, it's just amazing. Like you can kind of, it's uh, it's such an amazing film in terms of like the people are so natural and yeah. like I'm not sure that you know no one's like a professional actor I think except for Sofia Batella. Uh, except for. Uh, apparently two, Sophia Patella oh, and Suella Yacoub, who plays Lou, oh, okay. um, the pregnant woman who doesn't drink but still suffers an emotional breakdown throughout the whole thing. Mm. So yeah, there's these two characters who are essentially our touch points. Uh, Selva, who you could argue is the main character, um, but it is really an ensemble movie. And uh, Lou, who is the uh, other... So so there's the main troupe. Mm-hmm. There's a DJ who's daddy, played by Kitty Smile. Yeah. There's the, like, I don't know what her title is, but it's it's Tito's mom. What What is her role in regards, like, she makes the sangria. Is she, like, their agent? Or? Yeah, I feel like she might be, like, a producer. That, like, she's, okay. Yeah, she's, like, on the, you know, on the sidelines. Yeah, she's not a dancer. She, yeah. She's the only one there that doesn't dance. Um, but she's there making sangria for the rest of the group so they're they've been there for three days i think was the thing yeah. um it's like a three-day intensive and do a tour of america yeah so they've been rehearsing choreograph uh rehearsing with this amazing choreographer and musician daddy and selva the two of them are like 
it's mentioned in the opening interviews. It's like, oh man, the honor to work with you. Um, and I remember watching that. And I was like, who, who, who is it? Who's the <laughs> who recording? And it took me a while, like watching. I was like, well then, who, who was it? Is I kept thinking, is there some like shadow person that sent these people to this building just to to experience a nightmare but no it's daddy and selva were the ones doing those interviews they choreographed this amazing routine and they're just gonna have a party afterward um and it's in france and it's in winter and it's snowing outside it's freezing conditions and they're in a school i guess um so our two actual actors are selva and lou Everyone else in the movie is uh, people with no experience in acting. Obviously, tons of experience in dancing and all the different styles too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know, are you a dancer or do you have any background in that? Nothing at all. Me neither. Yeah. My sister does. She does ballet, tap, hip hop. Uh, I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, there's just something about like with with each individual dance style there's so much personality that comes from the individual and also just like cultural significance from whatever that like dance comes from the um contortionist the guy who's like bending his arms and like spinning them around and stuff which character was that i can't remember was that a manual uh it might be a manual i'm not sure i was actually just gonna check out like they there's a french style of dancing where they do a lot of like movement around their head like yeah there was a lot of that there's like yeah some amazing dance in there and like, there was, I feel like French elect like French electro is such like its own little scene and there was a lot such of great music in it oh yeah the music uh, so <laughs> so the dancing aside each individual dancer is phenomenal and I frankly want to look them up like and, yeah. and see more of each of them the mid-credits uh like sh- Thing where they show all of their names in various styles. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything in my research, but I wanted to know, did they each get to design their own uh, name? Because it looks, a lot of them look really personalized, and some of them look like logos almost. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, the music in it. Uh, mm-hmm. During the opening credits, it's it's uh, it's very different from traditional films where the end credits are at the end. This one is much more like older films of the fifties and sixties where they front end the entire oops the entire opening credits. Um, and in it, there's this wall of music credits that just happens, and it's almost like hard to piece out just the way it's formatted. Like there's a Rolling Stone song in there that shows up at the very end. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I flew to my computer and looked at the soundtrack because I I love all of those songs. Mm. And there there were parts of the movie where I was like like I, I wanted to dance I wanted to get up and dance like totally. yeah it, it, it it's supposed to obviously yeah I think what was really interesting about the film which I also really liked was that like I felt like at the beginning of it it made me go like god I miss partying like mm-hmm. I miss like going to these kind of things yeah. and dancing and being with like eccentric people and doing that and then by the end of it I was like thank god I don't do that like anymore. yeah if there was any part of me that was curious about You're LSD like, oh, and wanted to try yeah. it I don't ever want to try it because yeah. Yeah. it's obvious that like it's it affects people extremely differently mm-hmm. some so so some people die from it some people yeah. kill from it it's um, just kind of like the worst hangover you could possibly imagine that never ends that never ends and it's just like that like in the film like it it is like it just kind of everything that a terrible thing that could happen in one night of partying happens yeah and it that's kind of like what makes it so powerful because it starts out so um, optimistic so and exciting and like, you know, and I think it's, it's so interesting because I think it's as well, weirdly enough, like I feel like a lot of cults start out like that where it's like, it's amazing. It's free. It's all about no rules. And by the end of it, you know, everyone's like killing themselves. Yeah. But, like um, even if it's the best intentions of like, oh yeah, we're doing this for positivity and stuff. 
the introduction of alcohol and drugs can destroy it all. So yeah, yeah that's right. How the first part of it is all about cr them creating something, and then the second half of it is all falling apart. Totally. Um. So like it's starts with the interviews it cuts to their dance which is this 12 minute thing and then it does this just like just bizarre but you deal with it as an audience member where they start just cutting they just start cutting and there's just black and then they'll cut to another conversation and then black and they'll cut to tito and his mom and then black and it's still tito and his mom and it's just like bizarre choices but you you deal with it because it's um it's establishing their characters so much more than anything else. The two uh the two I was gonna say African American, but they're friends. So the two black guys that are talking to each other that yeah. at first like it, it it seems really okay. Like they're just like they're just joking around and stuff. And then it quickly like turns to they're joking about violently raping a person. And it's like I I know there are people out there that talk like that, that that think that's funny and think that's okay and that's exactly what the movie is trying to do is trying to plant the seed that like these people aren't good already and it's yeah. like the like the fact that they're humans and people is keeping them good but once you remove that their true intentions are going to show and so like i remember feeling like rumbles of like i don't like I don't like where this is going and, yeah. and he does it's it more. No, it's not yeah. safe. And that's one of the big themes is that like, yeah, this is a creative, fun, collaborative environment with lots of people and you still don't know anyone and you mm. still can't trust anyone, especially in an environment where everyone is so horny. And it's like, I think like four of the conversations are about wanting to have sex with other people in the room. Yeah. And like, that in and of itself is not bad. It's not bad to be attracted to people, but in the environment like that where the dances are so physical and, and like, it's it, it can't not get muddy when you're yeah. mixing in, like, personal relationships and that stuff with something as personal and naked and, frankly, egotistic as dance. Mm -hmm. Like, the kind of confidence you have to have to do that kind of stuff, um, especially for, like, some of those characters. Like, I don't know. It's It's just, like... I'm not a dancer, but I totally see the appeal and the freedom and like how Riley says in his opening thing that like it's it's I get to be someone that I, I don't get to be anywhere else. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's so great. And there's even like some weird moments in those interviews, too, where it's like, would you do anything to be to for your break? And yeah, but it some of them are couch like, kind of vibe. It's exactly <laughs> yeah. it. It's exactly it. And um, like. It's crazy as well in the film how it like it. I almost feel like it all builds up like it's going to be an orgy. Like there's going to be an orgy. That's at some definitely point. what it feels and like. And then it goes somewhere different. Like it, you know, there are aspects of that, but I felt like it was very much like that's where it's going to go. And then you kind of like has a shift. Obviously, we've already spoiled the. Well, film, you but... could make an argument that it does get to an orgy, yeah. just not necessarily a sexual one, just yeah. a chaotic, oversensory orgy overload. Mm. Um, but that's that's me getting artsy fartsy. Yeah. But that's what we're here for. The movie's climax. So the big moment is when they're drinking their sangria and it's the it's the longest cut of the film it's 42 minutes um that that sounds like nothing it is 42 minutes that is half of the film's runtime is the shot i can't even call it a shot is the is the the section of the film where everyone starts to suspect that their drug that their uh, drinks have been drugged and um the first person they descend on is the only person who uh is the person who made the sangria and she says no it can't be me i drunk it so it becomes this mass hysteria thing 
that it doesn't even make logical sense, but they're all screaming and there's they're scared of how they feel and they're mad that they want to blame someone. So they blame the person who wasn't drinking or doing drugs, the one person who's just a straight shooter, Dom. I really liked Dom. Yeah. And they descend on him and they push him out. And that's when you realize that that it's snowing outside. Like we saw the opening shot or whatever, but we don't know how that ties into what we're seeing. So to see the freezing conditions outside, I remember gasping. I remember letting out a gasp like, oh my God, he's going to freeze out there. And it's such like warm colors as well. Like mm -hmm. the entire, all the interiors are so warm. And then to have that just oblivion of white. Yeah. Is just so, yeah, it's so beautiful. And that, for me, still isn't quite the moment where I was like, oh, I get it. I get what this movie is now. For me, it was um, Selva uh, wanders back to the room. Uh, it's really cool the way, like, they, they show us those hallways so many times that I really do have a good idea of how this place is structured. Um, Selva is tripping, and she makes her way all the way back to the uh, uh, bedrooms, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's a school that also has bedrooms. Uh, like a boarding school, I guess. Uh, um, when she uh, finds Lou, who has been telling people she's sick, she's not feeling well, she doesn't want to drink, it happens sometimes, she reveals in confidence that she's pregnant, and she doesn't know whose it is. And that really fucking sucks. But what makes it so much worse is when Dom comes in, the uh, black woman, um, and she's tripping, and... There's just something about all of their performances that, like, I, I've, i like, to a point, been each of them at yeah. various parties and stuff. And I feel like the more you've partied, the more this movie, like, really speaks to you. Like, I, if I was super straight edge, I don't think I would have enjoyed this that much. Yeah. I think I would have been like, yep, that's what alcohol <laughs> that's, does. That's why you don't do these things, <laughs> yeah, kids. Yeah. yeah. So instead, when Dom comes in and, and uh, she's, she's, like, laughing, she's delirious, like, she, you, you know she's upset, but she's laughing about it and saying, like, You're, you drugged us. You're the only one who didn't drink. You drugged us. You lying bitch. And then Selva, inappropriately, but she's drunk too. Or she's high too, says she's pregnant. And Dom doesn't take that well. She knees her in the stomach and then kicks her a second time. And that that was when I stopped taking notes. That was when I put my pen down and was like, stopped, I, right? I understand what's happening now. And I need to devote everything to what I'm seeing here because it that that's where it all starts for me that's where where it just the descent goes straight down because she wanders out from there and begs people to help her and instead they demand she kill herself they they crowd around her in that staircase and are screaming at her to kill herself and so she stabs her stomach and she cuts herself and those visual effects are it's hard to talk about now it's so real that was so it's so, it's so hard to watch at times yeah and- there were a lot yeah. of times, yeah. What what was the what were like? So that was the first moment for me that it's like, okay. Well, what was it for you? Do you remember? Yeah, I think. Well, I think that scene, like that scene, definitely is just like, wow. Like these guys are fucked up, and like it's terrible. Like you know, it, it's like that. This is it's kind of like a turning point, I guess, if you're going to get like screenwriting. Yeah, um, yes. But I think that as well, like my favorite, my favorite moment, uh, like in a dark way, not in like a best way. Um, it's definitely like when Tito dies. Yes. Which is just, you know, it's, it's a visual, like it's, you know, this, this film will like gut punch you like three or four times. And it's just 
so hurtful every time you're like oh but like tito who's like the um the little son and it's kind of like people say earlier they're like oh you know this isn't a place for a child like why did she bring her child to this party like everyone's partying and then there's um, even a a not a throwaway line you can't really say a a closed caption movie has any throwaway lines but one of them is about like uh I think Lou saying that she should have aborted him or I'm glad that she didn't abort him. Some reference to abortion and it's in loosely ref- she's she's like hinting at herself. Yeah. And that Selva says it's nice to have the choice. So I was like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. um, yeah. But, but um, yeah, Tito, yeah, seeing... uh, he, it's like at every wedding you see where people are getting drunk, but there's still kids there. And so you'll see, you know, a, a bridesmaid who maybe has had a little bit too much playing with the flower girl or stuff like that. It's like that. And it's seems totally innocent and at the same time there is a point where he needs to go to bed like this isn't appropriate and he definitely shouldn't be drinking the sangria and so when his mom sees that he's snuck out of bed and is drinking the sangria that they all know to be laced with lsd she does what i imagine she believed to be the most responsible thing well he snuck out of his room so i can't put him there i got to put him in a room that that locks and in her LSD stupor, she puts him in the electrical room and closes the box and tells him, don't touch those. Like, I remember I remember walking out of it and being, at first, my knee jerk was like, man, if they didn't set up that death so heavily, it would have been so much more impactful. And, and thinking about it now, they didn't. They didn't beat me over the head with the fact that he's going to die. They, she did what she thought was best to put him in a room. He probably was on LSD because he talks about that there's cockroaches and there's something moving in there. It's so frightening. It just reminds me a little bit of, um, uh, what's the film? The the Seventh Sense? The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. My God. The Sixth Sense where the little boy gets locked and there's a ghost in the room. Yes. Yes. And he's just like screaming. Oh God. Such a terrifying scene. It kind of reminded me of that scene because... This boy is on LSD, he's locked, he's cold, and his mom is just screaming for his mom, and then she loses the key. Mm -hmm. She loses the key. Oh, and it's like so heartbreaking, and especially because, not to spoil it, but like um, the, the, all the lights go out and they go, Tito's dead. Just like a joke. You know, and they're like laughing. Mm -hmm. And And they're like, what about the music? That's the important part. And uh, one of them goes, don't worry, I've got my ghetto blaster, while she... She makes her way back to the door and loses everything. And that's what she decides. I'm going to kill myself. I'm coming, Tito. And I think what's the, the most haunting thing about that is we still don't know if he's actually dead. I know we see the shot and oh, you've wow. resigned that he's dead. But the truth is that he more. could just be unconscious. Like, yeah, he could have been shocked and that could have ended it. But there's no proof that he died. And but... But I know, right? <laughs> oh my god! I like I I got I gotta uh, see it again. As well. I I want to see it again too. Like, like yeah. So um, one of the best performances for me is um when Selva has her uh temper tantrum breakdown in the kitchen, mm-hmm. um where she wanders. I don't even remember where it is in the film. There's so many moments, uh, but I think it's bef- I think it's after uh, the one woman gets her hair set on fire, mm-hmm. um which is another one where I like I wonder for a long time what happened to her, and you don't find out until a little epilogue at the end, but. Um, so I want to give a shout out to uh, the actress Sophia Butella one time uh, one more time her performance as Selva when she walks into the uh, kitchen and has her breakdown she she like has a dance breakdown it, it's it, it's like a come full circle where like 
the dances in the beginning were were uh, just as frantic, but you know had a place of like creation and. And I, I can still remember watching the dances and as positive as they were going like, like oh, that, that looks kind of dangerous and they look angry and that looks like I don't want to get close to them. They're going to hit me or something. And um, yeah, it totally flips to like they're essentially doing the same dances after she wanders back in and what she's doing in that kitchen. But it's just it's from a place of like, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in such a place like emotionally anxiety depression whatever is happening to you where like you just want to scream and 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 writhe on the floor and just scream and 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 get it all out yes yes okay (laughs) i was like long and short yeah because i have and and like it's 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 not as cathartic watching someone go through that as 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 I, I imagined it would be. It is heartbreaking, mm. and it's it's especially troublesome when like she puts her, she puts her hands in her stockings and she's like, "This feels fun and this is fun and it's like what a fun sensation." And then same cut, she goes from this fun sensation to I can't get my hands out of my stockings and she's screaming again. Yeah, it's like hard to watch in terms of like you know stuff you'd see at a party and you would see someone and you'd be like, "You're you're you're gone." They like, need help. It's, it's not safe for you here yeah. anymore. And yeah. when it's when it's a whole building of them, it's terrifying. It's literally like there's just like there's just no one there. Like I think that you know the only person who didn't drink, I think like uh, yeah, Omar who gets kicked out into the snow. Dom. Dom. Oh, sorry, Dom gets kicked out into the snow. He didn't drink, and then the pregnant lady, uh, she's killed. Pretty much killed. I'm pretty sure she dies in the snow at the end because if she wanders out after the police show up, which super sucks. Yeah, it's just like there's the kind of situation where you just want like a responsible adult there. Yes. And they're they're just, there's no one there. And they're all equally dangerous. Yeah, they're left their own devices. And it's like almost like, you know, they're brought down to their very base urges. Mm -hmm. Quite literally. And how horrible humans are kind of... I yeah. feel like his own is a theme in the movie. So, like, the film comes to its absolute climax um, during the... Uh, climax! Hey! hey roll credits! What? <laughs> yeah. Comes to uh, a, a peak, uh, a thematic peak, when uh, the camera... Uh, Gaspar has used this technique a couple times in the film at this point, but uh, it's where he turns the, fi- the camera upside down to, uh, in my opinion, elicit a complete sense of chaos of me trying to make sense of what I can because in a normal shot like it would be halfway across the room and I could easily see everyone even in real life like ideally I'd still be able to see everyone but if I was on LSD and I was stuck in that mode and I had been dealing with everything up to that point that's visually where it it all comes together is that it's just a writhing limbs red because uh, the lights went out when Tito uh, fried himself, and um, they're, they're just the emergency lights or something. And all you can hear are people screaming and growling and, and like, biting each other and having sex. There's, there's people having sex right on the dance floor, and it's just absolute chaos that ends with David, the, the guy that we've, uh, like, if he was our male lead, you could say, but he's just as despicable, gets his head smashed on the dance floor. And that's, that's the cut. 42 minutes later, cut. And then the door opens. And it's a German shepherd and it's the police. And there's just this intense relief of just like, thank God it's over. And they've opened the door and there's like a a breath of fresh air. And it's like just what we needed. But 
Oh, that's right. The camera's not upside down yet, but there's, and it's just who's left. And that's when we get our little epilogue of, of how everyone ended up. Psych uh, is still dancing. She's still the one. Uh, she peed on the floor earlier. And I always wondered, was that real improv? Yeah, like, I didn't even think of that. But these actors are insane. It's so awesome what they what they did and that they that this wasn't asked of them. It was their ideas. It yeah. was their collaboration. Um and so so the three the three structure is that opening one they're creating they're having fun. The middle is absolute chaos that results in that climax and at the end is this epilogue. So what do we learn from this epilogue? We learn who may or may not have died. We know for sure Dom Froze to death outside. I, I hate that shot. Um, Tito fried, most likely dead, um, but could 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 have survived that. His mom killed herself with a knife across her wrist. I forget what was the character's name. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, David, I brain damaged i don't know does he wake up is he i can't remember yeah I okay so, so so he got his head cracked in um the two lovers obviously they're okay the uh daddy and riley i'm so happy for them that they ended up okay that nothing bad happened to them yeah the woman with her hair burned apparently like was just in the sink for the rest of the night dealing yeah, with that just like blood everywhere uh, her scalp like uh, just fried uh, dom is um like on the table like scream sleeping like cry like in the middle um selva and uh one of the the belgian no the she was asian um it was the only asian woman on the cast tiffany ow as sila so or sila sila and silva ended up selva ended up together uh which is nice and then i don't know if i'm missing anybody else but the big the big like wham moment is where we see psych in her bedroom just cleaning things up, putting stuff together, putting her books away. And then she leans up and puts some eye drops in, like five drops of acid into her eye, which is a reference to uh, a line earlier that I think Selva said that like her roommate started doing acid and she had to get away from that in the eye. Yeah, and she was like, Berlin's too much. Like, yeah. I have to get away. And that it's was like, it. I felt like it was just such a funny like moment because I had so much compassion. Like she was like, oh, I'm getting yeah. away. Like Berlin, I were too much drugs. Like, and it was just like, oh, good. She's like starting new. She's starting fresh. And at the end, you just realized. It was her. Oh, you're the bitch. It was definitely <laughs> her. Yeah. And it's like, if you go back and think like she nothing really bad happened to her she's still dancing at the end uh and obviously she's doing more so like her tolerance is super high and and she did it and she doesn't care and she's most likely still on it as she's doping up again and it's 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 one of the coolest shots as it fades out with her eye just on there and that that music um that that follows uh the uh rolling stone song angie as we're seeing all of the uh like epilogue vignettes and then that last shot is upside down again but turning right side up slowly as we zoom into the only authority figure that we're ever going to get in this movie as the world writes itself and it ends (laughs) such a film oh such a good movie (laughs) um so yeah those themes of uh control and safety and fear um and uh well yeah let's just start there control safety fear uh the idea of being out of control in your own skin and not being able to like like i i have to imagine that's what dom is scream crying about is all the horrible things she did that night before and just like 
Like I, I, I've drunk. I'll be, I'll be honest. I've drunk, and I've done. Yep, yep, I've drunk. What? And I've done some drugs. Are not, you over twenty one, sir? <laughs> nothing super hardcore. <laughs> like I'm not trying to, not trying to brag or anything. But um, yeah, and I've been what uh, people have called crossfaded, which is when. Uh, wow, I've never. What do you heard call that? it? What do you call what? What's an Australian saying for when you're drunk and oh, high? Drunk and high. I, I don't know. I guess, yeah, it's just like... I've heard it as crossfaded because it's like a DJ. Like, crossfaded. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to, you know, I've got to bring it back to Australia <laughs> cool. when I go back in a couple of weeks. Because like, oh, what's... Uh, there's, I, I don't mean, I don't want to be offensive, but there's an Australian term for when you're drunk, right? Uh, like, it's not hammered. What is it? Oh, there's so many. Like, is it knackered? Knackered? Or is that British? There's, I don't know. There's, it's like, it's so like graphic, but it's like shit face. Oh, there's shit face. Shit face. For sure. Um... Hammered. Hammered is the one. Yeah, yeah, I've this heard here. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Ugh. Uh, but um, so I don't know if you have, but um, yeah. that's 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 something that like it, I said it earlier, but it really speaks to me is like just some of the physicality that they do, and just like like oh, am I going this way? Am I going that way? Like like I've been there, and so it's really easy to 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 pine for that as you're watching it, and maybe if you're able to like even kind of rewire your brain to remember what it felt like to be there, but uh, as I'll be honest, as a man, I've never felt a, an element of like fear or lack of control in a room of other people who are on various wavelengths of that. But I could easily see being a different person and in a different uh, environment, how that's obvious, how obviously I don't feel safe in that uh, environment. That's good. <laughs> um yeah yeah it was it's just uh um, i don't mean to put you on the spot as a woman <laughs> as a woman <laughs> um no yeah i think that that's always kind of frightening is that you gotta like at parties and stuff you really gotta make sure you trust people there um especially if you're like looking you know you're gonna get really drunk you need to really assess you know people's character and i think that that's what's so interesting like i think that in my writing and in my plays, I think that I am always interested in like that base level of like, can I, can you trust this person? And like, what, what are intentions and like, what, what would happen if under pressure, what are people really like? Are you familiar with the Bechdel test? I am. I wanted yeah. to commend another compliment. I wanted yeah. to commend your writing for passing the Bechdel test. You have a number Thank of uh, independent uh, female characters with agency that have extended conversations with other women that have nothing to do with men. Uh, and I think that's great. Yeah. Now, um, um, this movie also passes the Bechdel test in many ways, but also fails in some. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... Um, yeah, it's there's pretty, a lot going on. There's yeah. so much going on in the film, yeah. Um, uh, so I guess uh, before we move on to a different theme, I wanted to ask, like, what did that speak to you? That element of like, oh yeah, like this is supposed to be a fun party, but they weren't safe before they started drinking. Uh, like, there's always that element of like, yeah, we're all on the same dance troupe, but I still got to keep myself safe. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Do you have anything like? Did that speak to you? Yeah, I think as well. It's like group scenarios. Like, you know, you've you've always got to kind of have your boundaries up and figure people out. I think it's, um, it's really interesting at the end that kind of, uh, uh, Selva, she hooks up with, uh, which character did she hook up in the, I forgot the uh, name. Scylla. Scylla. Yeah, and Scylla. it's almost like she's safe mm-hmm. with like, with another woman. That sounds really terrible, but like they kind of, nothing bad happens to Selva. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad happened. That's right. That's the thing that the brother, uh, so one of the dancers are brother and sister. And I could have sworn that the sister was trans. 
but maybe not. No, I, yeah. I kept expecting that to be a thing because she keeps trying to get with um, one other male dancer there. And his brother is like, or sh- her brother is like, um, you, you can't do that. And it's like, oh, he's just being overprotective. I thought the twist was going to be that she's a man and that, I mean, she's a woman, but, but he's not going to enjoy that when he finds out. And so yeah. I thought that was the big thing. But no, it's that they're incestual. It's that they... they yeah, it's crazy. Way, way that, different. And like at the end when it's like wakes up, he's like, please don't tell dad. Yeah, that... And it's kind of this that he sense that, that there's, that's happened before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like just a crazy... And like at the beginning, he's really like controlling of her. And it's like, you know, how are you how far are you going with this guy? Like, you sh- And she's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 19. Yeah. I can do what I but want. But that's the thing is she gives off this air that it's like, it's like, yeah, he's being overprotective, but I'm okay with that. This conversation is part of this process. But before it to go where it went, like, yeah. It, uh, it, 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 there is definitely a hint of like, uh, the drugs exacerbated this, but this has happened before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's some great, like really grounded vignettes and a movie with 24 people in it. There are mm-hmm. some amazing, uh, like stories within the story that don't really have a ton of dialogue, stuff like that, stuff like, uh, uh, Tito and all of that. So good that it never really focuses on any one person. The camera's just floating around the room. Yeah. Uh, just a, such an ensemble piece. Yeah. Such yeah, a rehearsing I mean, nightmare. And amazing in terms of like, yeah, you know, a single location, like in terms of, I'm sure it did cost a lot of money, but in terms of just doing it in one location. Oh, that's what I think about from a screenwriting perspective is like when, when you're writing, you have to think of two things. You have to think of your creative contribution, obviously, and what you're writing, but you kind of have to be realistic and think how many locations, how many actors, how many props, like what, like car crashes, like what can, you know, what can I cut out to make my short film or student endeavor uh, more likely to get made? So an idea that 24 non-actors, cha-ching, in one location, cha-ching, with multiple long shots that I don't, I don't know. Is that a cha-ching? Does that cost less or more? I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, kind of like, it's harder to nail, but it takes a lot more rehearsal, but a lot less like film time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. We'll have to like research this and get back to (laughs) you. But uh, yeah. um, One last thing. I forgot to mention the choreographer, uh, uh, McNeely. What is her name? Um, The choreographer for this movie is Nina McNeely. And uh, she has a quote here from, uh, a person or a magazine or something. I went on her website and there's a quote that comes from Junkie. Oh, I think Ni- it's Australian publication, oh. actually. Yeah, go on. Oh, that's funny. Well, Nina yeah. McNeely says, <clears throat> quote, one of the film's first scenes is the only actively rehearsed part of the film, a five-minute, one-shot, 21-dancer spectacle that shits on anything ever seen in Step Up. Some people say it's my best scene ever, says Gaspar Noé, but I'm not really responsible for it. I enjoyed being behind the crane, but thank Nina, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Because... It that, is that dance scene, like as well. It's just like you know, I've been watching it over and over again. Yeah, I want to go back and watch it. <laughs> it's like, just, it's as well. It gets better with like I think it gets better with time as well in terms of like after you've seen the film because there's so many like, different people to look at. Oh, like it's such a showcase of their talents and their individuality. Yeah. And, you know, it has such when you see the the horrible things that happen to each one of them, it's you, you get more of a like a appreciation almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I was fascinated to hear that the interviews were a late addition that, uh, originally the movie was 
everything except the interviews. And uh, the line producer uh, was the one that uh, said, hey, we should have them talk more. So let's insert some stuff for the home movie release that they decided to just put in the film. And it, it's necessary. Yeah, I would not care at all about these people in this dance room without that one-on-one individual meeting them and knowing their dreams and stuff, mm-hmm. which was also improvised, those interviews, which is insane. Like, as a writer, it's frankly insulting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta, like, wonder if, like, he won, like, a, a screenwriting award if you have to be like, oh, I gotta be honest with you guys. Like, it's yeah. just crazy. Like, he has an idea in November, and he the deadline for Cannes is March, so he does it. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I also, I love about the film that it's so, like, proudly French. Like, yeah. you know, like, it kind of, like, opens on the French flag, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, I, you know, I gotta... It's multilingual. I love that. I love that about France, like, and French people, is that they are so proud and yes. like, there's such this culture of like we don't care if it's not commercially successful like it's about the art and it's about our culture being shown i think it's something that we miss out on and maybe maybe you uh have some uh kinship in australia as a younger nation too that it like france has a history that goes as far back as like like how far does france go back i don't want to embarrass myself <laughs> yeah. but way further back than 1776 or when was australia founded uh 1770 oh my 1770 1770 oh my god if someone like calls me up it's like <laughs> uh, felicity get to know your shit i'll be like oh my god i'm sorry so about six uh, i swear about... i paid attention in history <laughs> <laughs> that's so fascinating because when you say history like like it's american history obviously but no it's australian history starting at 17 17- uh 70 70 yeah. and then we showed up in 1776 <laughs> yeah. and look where we are now Wait. oh but i should preface that of course 7070 is not when australia started of course indigenous right. people were there for like fifty thousand years of course which you have Captain to be respectful Cook arrived of. on 1770 right and brought all of the prisoners yeah yeah no, 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 no that's like yeah sorry no, that's no, all no, I, no. I was like i had to catch myself there because i was just like that's the things i know about australia are um the uh, sydney opera house uh-huh. the great barrier reef um brecky uh, <laughs> and um, uh, the the horrible story of the poor woman who lost her baby to a dingo. Yes, <laughs> everyone knows dingo about that one. Ate my baby. Yeah, yeah. but that's real. Yeah. I, it, it's a national tragedy, and like I read up on it, and it's like no one believed her. Like, yeah, she went around, and it was it was a whole thing of like, oh, no one believed you just her, and killed she, your baby, and yeah, decided to and then she dingo died, did. and they found the skeleton in like uh, they found the dingo. Yeah, with, with the, the baby. With the baby skeleton yeah. in it. But yeah. she was already dead, so like it was just like a posthumous thing? Is that the truth? Yeah. I don't know. You know it what? just seems really distasteful to be a joke that people say. Well, yeah, it was like Seinfeld that yeah. you know, really did it. Oh, so. a dingo ate your baby. Like, yeah, yeah, and it's like, someone actually died. <laughs> You're like, ah, so we only have time for one last segment, and that is where we rate our movie. Once a week, we rate our movie on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the best, one being the worst, and five being the best. What did you think of Climax? I think five thumbs. Really? All five? It's like, it's one that's going to stay with me for a really long time. And I think that like, that feeling of, I felt physically ill coming out of it. And I like saw it on a Saturday night, which I feel like really helped the experience. Cause it was just like, you know, like you're getting all ready for it. And it just, it's going to stick with me. Um, yeah. And then, uh, we typically, uh, award or assign our thumbs to characters in the movie uh so who are you going to give your thumbs to um i would you can spread them out or you can give all five to one all five to one i think psych as a character i i both hate her and i love her so much Mm -hmm. i think she gets five thumbs for me i'm like too good i think uh selva gets Mm -hmm. selva gets four thumbs okay 
Um, I like her as well. Um, so that's just... nine thumbs so far. Oh, right. So, how many... <laughs> <laughs> so it's like one or like five. Oh, I've completely misunderstood. <laughs> no worries. So I'm like, I'm like, I have ten thumbs to give out? <laughs> you have five. Like because you gave five, you have five thumbs to give out. So you can give all five of those to one character. Or you can give one to one. Yeah. I think I'll give all five to Psyche. Cool. I yeah. think she deserves it. She deserves it. I love those moments where her like girlfriend is trying to get her attention and she's just so over her. And she's <laughs> yeah. like, you're just boring. Yeah. She's but it's like, like, because she's watching what she's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she's observing. And it's I just, just, I love the dance scene where she just like, she just does not give a fuck. And she's just like in a bikini. Yeah. And she's like, not even, she's not the best dancer of all of them. No, but. But you're just so like. You're very interesting. And she's tall, too. Like, yeah. she demands the very attention. Dramatic. Very pale, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that hair, that white hair. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. And, oh, me? And yourself? <laughs> like, I was like... So, yeah, Gaspar and his climax. I loved Enter the Void when I saw it. That, like, drug trip uh, idea. But this is so much different. It is still about drugs. But in that way, like, the film isn't attempting to elicit what it feels like to be on drugs. Instead, it's more of, like, a documentary. Just, like, a fly-on-the-wall what is happening to these people as they each descend in their own way and face their demons uh, either inwardly or outwardly. And so just, like... On paper, I love that. I didn't know about any of this going in, so it's awesome to have seen it. I am going to give... Oh, um, the music is amazing. The dancers, each individually, are fantastic. Whether I love or hate them are amazing. Tito, I could take or leave. <laughs> He's dead now. God, child actors. <laughs> I, 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 oh my it's goodness. so hard to... Put, like A child actor has to really be like pushing it for me to not remember that they're a child and there are 50 people on the other side of this camera that they are trying their hardest not to look at and it's just yeah um so with all of that with the visual effects with the 40 minute camera shots which like any movie that has long camera shots that that i that's my bread and butter i love long camera shots it's like watching a play um i'm going to give this movie five thumbs as well (gasps) Yeah, that's right. And I'm going to, uh, let's see, the last movie that I gave five thumbs to, I think was, uh, did I give A Quiet Place five thumbs? I don't think so. I think I gave that four thumbs. I gave Society five thumbs, and I'm giving this one five thumbs, and I'm going to assign my five thumbs. One of them is going to go to the German Shepherd that shows up at the end and barks us all back to reality. (laughs) Um, Oh, God, when you said, like, yeah, this is one that sticks with you, like, I, I, I talked to the other two people in the theater afterward, and I was like, do you guys want to talk? <laughs> and they said no. But, <laughs> but you tried. You I tried because I was like, I need someone to talk to about what I just saw. I'm going to give, um, let's see, that's one thumb. I'm going to give uh, two thumbs to, the, uh, I can't remember her name. Is it Emmanuel? Uh, no, Emmanuel was a man. I'm going to give it to Tito's mom. Tito's mom is going to need those thumbs more than anybody. She was amazing. And the last, let's see, so that's one thumb, that's two thumbs, one, two, three. I'm going to give my uh, last two thumbs to Daddy, because he's so big and huggable and nice, and he didn't do anything to anyone. The worst thing he does is Selva comes over and is, like, crying and begging him, help me, what's happening? And he just goes, ew, get off me, I'm dancing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, He's a great character. He's so good. Yeah. He's so, like, just real and honest, and all of his conversations are so great. Super huggable. Super huggable. Very yeah. huggable. I would love to meet him in real life. I'd have yeah. to learn French probably. Well, but Kitty Smile, he's actually got some music that I really like. I'll have to check him yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I imagine he was, just like everyone else was really dancing, he was probably really DJing there. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. 
So that's the movie Climax. Felicity, thanks so much for coming. Is Thank there... you for having me. Oh, absolutely. You're welcome to come back anytime. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online if they're interested in seeing some of your work or watching the shorts? Yeah, um, I guess uh, www.felicitypickering.com. Uh, just like an online portfolio. And, uh, you know, hopefully my film will get in somewhere and then come along awesome come talk to me are you on instagram or twitter or do you not want people I, to find you there <laughs> yeah, i'm like oh no um yeah no totally um i am uh, at fliction 21 and then i think i'm fliction one on twitter fliction that's clever I'm, yeah i don't know like <laughs> flick is a shortening of felicity yeah okay I, I and also like flick like a movie yeah, yeah. and affliction and fiction and fl- oh my god there's four there's things so in there things. did you come up with that I, it was like the the whole concept was one part flick one part fiction so it was but there's four other hidden things. I mean, there's two other hidden things. <laughs> Interpret in there. it how you want. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I'm well. glad you're enthusiastic about it. I was like, should I change this? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely uh, put that in the episode description. Um, anything else you wanted to say before we say goodbye? No. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. Oh, absolutely. It was a treat. Like I said, you're welcome back anytime. All right, that's it for us on the gory days. Please, if you are uh, thinking about it, go see this movie, Climax, by Gaspar Noé. Give it all the support you can. And the moment Tony Fitzgerald's cult following hits the festival scene and the internet and all of that, Google it. Stay scary out there. The gory days. The gory days.